Hey, have you heard about our all-new free PDF that you can download? It's called Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. And if you're a couple that has done the date nights and attended the relationship retreats and learned the communication skills, read the latest books on marriage, but you still find yourself stuck in a loop of pain and frustration, then this PDF is for you. If one moment everything is fine and the next moment everything feels crazy and that is familiar, I encourage you to go to restoringthesoul.com, scroll down, fill in your email, and get the free copy of our all-new PDF, Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. You're going to find it very helpful. Most people feel like they read this and they wonder if we've been reading their mail. They say, this is us. It's going to be of help. Check it out now at restoringthesoul.com. Remember, the goal of daily offices or to be with God is that I'm going to commune with him. And I'm not trying to get something from him. I'm not interceding for the church. I'm being with him. But the goal is so that when I'm active the rest of the day, I'm aware of his presence. That's the goal. The goal is not the stopping. The goal is I'm talking to you now, but I'm aware of his presence. Uh, I'm prayerfully present to you. I'm not just like, you know, my mind's on four things right now. That's the goal. That's, that's challenging. I don't live that. I'm, I'm growing, you know, I'm on my own right. growth path, but uh, my commitment is to do it while being a, you know, I'm active. I'm not called to be a monk. I'm called to be a pastor of a church. I got four children. I live in New York City. And uh, so God's called me to do some things and I'm, I'm going to do them, but I'm going to do them at a pace that my interior life can sustain what I do on the outside. I don't get involved in activity that my soul can't sustain. You're listening to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick. Welcome to Restoring the Soul. I'm Michael John Cusick. Today on the program, part two of a two-part conversation with Peter Scazzaro, who is the author of two best-selling books, The Emotionally Healthy Church and Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Pete Scazzaro was the founder of New Life Fellowship Church in Queens, New York, a large multiracial international church with 73 countries represented. After serving there as senior pastor for 26 years, Pete now serves as a teaching pastor and pastor at large, and he and his wife Jerry are the founders of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, a groundbreaking ministry that equips churches in a deep, beneath-the-surface spiritual formation paradigm that integrates emotional health and contemplative spirituality. On today's program, Pete will discuss, among other things, signs of emotionally unhealthy spirituality in pastors and leaders. So let's turn now to part two of my conversation with Peter Scazzaro on Restoring the Soul. What does... uh, Again, I'm thinking about Christian leaders and pastors, but um, what, on a practical level, would be some signs of emotional unhealth? There's the obvious things like addictions and affairs yeah. and burnout, but what uh, are some yeah. of the more subtle things? I, I think um, a variety of things. One is you don't have time to feel because you're too busy. Second is busyness. I, I think the you don't have time to live what you preach. It's a big problem. That's that's a sign from God. You would do something different because um, you're, you're starting to lose your integrity, and it's very hard to preach consistently and live it. That takes a reflective life. Marriage 
how is your marriage, if you're married, your sexuality, very critical questions. Um, if you're denying sadness and anger and brokenness inside of you, that's a sign something's not right. If you're dividing the sacred and the secular, that's a problem where you've got your life in compartments. Uh, if you're not Sabbathing, that's a problem. Uh, God just never, it's, you're doing violence to your soul. You never were meant to work the kind of hours many pastors work. You need a rhythm like God has, right, of work six days, and you have a rhythm of resting. You, you're Sabbathing. You learn how to Sabbath. And, but I think you can just go, go, go. I mean, What does your Sabbath practice look like? Generally, my Sabbath will begins on uh, Friday night. It goes Friday night generally at dusk to Saturday dusk, or generally to Sunday morning, depending. Uh, but that 24-hour period from Friday night 6 to 6 o'clock Saturday night, which means most of Friday I'm off. Um, I may do some work in the early morning, but I need Friday to do the things of life, you know, whatever, laundry, go shopping with my wife or whatever, to prepare for Sabbath. But uh, Sabbath is, is the highlight of our week. I don't know how we ever live without it. Believe me, Sabbath's not a legalism once you taste the real Sabbath, which has the qualities of delight and rest and stopping work and um, contemplating God. It's, it's just tremendous. So for me, it, it, so my wife and I will go hiking. We live in a city, so we try to get out of the city. Okay. Kids are a little bit older now. We go biking. We'll go hiking in the mountains. We will go to the beach. Uh, we'll go to a museum. Uh, we will go. I love to read. I love to go to libraries, bookstores, listen to music out of borders. I just that's why I just so what you do what gives you life, and uh, yeah, it's, it's our highlight of our week. And then for us, we're committed to a rhythm of daily offices. You know, three four times a day. So we pause to be with God. That's very significant. So we stop our activity to be with Him, commune with Him, a little scripture, whatever it might be. Was that, was that difficult to, to, to um, move into and make that a part of your life once you decided to do it? Well, we were fortunate. We, we started with a sabbatical. So we kind of lived the monastic rhythms with the monks and Trappists. So, but coming back and pastoring a church and doing it is quite difficult. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't put a yoke on myself. I miss an office. I'm not like, it's not a legalistic thing for me. I miss, it's like missing Sabbath. I, I just, I love it. I love pausing. I, when I'm doing, 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 I... I, I just feel like I'm just, I, my own soul is crying out for silence and stop, stop. But remember, the goal of daily offices or to be with God is that I'm going to commune with him. And I'm not trying to get something from him. I'm not interceding for the church. I'm, I'm being with him. So it may be, it may be saying the Our Father very slowly. It may be, I, I'm a, I pray the Psalms all through the day. I love praying the Psalms. Um, maybe reading a bit of a devotional. Something to help me connect with God and have silence. Key. Um, and, but the goal is so that when I'm active the rest of the day, I'm aware of his presence. That's the goal. The goal is not the stopping. The goal is I'm talking to you now, but I'm aware of his presence. Uh, I'm prayerfully present to you. I'm not just like, you know, my mind's on four things right now. That's the goal. That's, that's challenging. I don't live that. I'm, I'm growing, you know, I'm on my own right. growth path. But uh, my commitment is to do it while being a, you know, I'm active. I'm not called to be a monk. I'm called to be a pastor of a church. I've got four children. I live in New York City. And uh, so God's called me to do some things, and I'm, I'm going to do them. But I'm going to do them at a pace that my interior, my interior life can sustain what I do on the outside. I don't get involved in activity that my soul can't sustain. That's why having a, a large ministry before you're, you have an interior life to sustain it will destroy you. Hmm. And uh, you've got to watch that. I watch it for myself all the time. So am I getting out, out on the limb here? 
Do I have the walk with God to sustain this? As, as you're talking, Pete, uh, my soul just comes alive going, wow, that sounds wonderful. I've gotten a little taste of that, uh, and it's always, it's always something I have to really be vigilant about. The average pastor who might be hearing you would, would be rolling their eyes going, yeah, that, that sounds like another world to me. That wouldn't be possible in my cycle, my rhythm. Yes. And even the idea of a rhythm, yeah, right. Um, where would you suggest that somebody start? Obviously, your books are great resources, but mm. what practical steps to begin to slow down and take some of those steps? I think it's really helpful. I think I would start with Sabbath. I think it's a great place to start. And uh, do some reading. A lot of good books out on Sabbath now. A lot of good stuff out there being published. And uh, then I, I would go and I would get out of, I would go visit some retreat centers, non-evangelical, that will give you some different models, slow you down a bit. I like going to a monastery only because it's so different than my world. Mm. And it roots me. Every year I go to the Trappist and I spend a week. And I just enter their life and their rhythm. And so I'm going in November again. And I'm just going to, you know, I just go into my cell. They have a cell. And you get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you do eight daily offices a day. Hmm. And 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 7.30, 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock, and then like 7.30 you go to bed and get up again at 3. And that kind of rhythm. Uh, it just you realize how much your soul longs for God, and that feeds you as opposed to something that you know you feel chained to or that you have to do. Absolutely, mm. it's very different than going to a church growth conference. Yeah. yeah, but I believe in a leadership summit. I think it's a good, like I say, the, the, the leadership summit by Willow Creek. It's a great conference in its place. It's a great conference. You just can't have that be your whole diet. Mm. That'd be dangerous. But it's a great gift. It's the strength of our tradition. And you can learn some things there. And if you can bring the contemplative to that, that's a wonderful combination. Talk about the gift of limits. We're kind of getting close to that as we talk about uh, the rule of life. But you, in one of your articles I read, you talked about being in China and comparing what was happening there with uh, what's happening here and how you learned about the gift of limits. Just well, yes. well, the, well China as a country is it just seems they're in explosive growth. And uh, if you're at Wendell Berry stuff, you're uh-huh. Wendell Berry? You know, he's really into limits and particular local places. And, but uh, I, I, I think the gift of limits is one of the critical issues of rebellion against God. And it goes back to the Garden of Eden when God says to Adam, and you can eat from any tree of the garden you want, but don't eat from this one. God sets a limit. And it puts the tree right in the middle of the garden. Just no explanations, don't eat it. <laughs> and it's a limit. And I, I th- everything in us just wants to cross limits. And then we know the same thing happened with Jesus in the wilderness. The devil set, the devil tried to get Jesus to go beyond his limits. He could, he could have turned those stones to bread. He could have jumped down from the temple. He, he could have done it, it all, but he didn't. He waited. He, he, he received his gift of limits. I think John the Baptist understood limits. He, hmm. When they were trying to get him jealous about Jesus' emerging ministry, he said a man can receive only what he receives from heaven, John three twenty seven. And I know from my own life, limits is probably one of the most critical spiritual issues for me of mm. sin mm. because I cross those limits. I think I'm more than I am. I can do more. You know, I, I can, I can. I'm, and, and I can receive only what's given me from heaven. And I need sleep. I need rest. I need rhythm. I need balance. I am not a machine. I'm a human. I'm a person. And when I think I'm more than I am, 
I cross over line. I'm in the enemy's territory. And so it cut, this gift of limits touches something so profound. And in both of your books, you talk about the top ten signs of uh, unhealthy spirituality. Isn't the it's living without limits one of them? It is. It is. Okay. And I, yeah, and I think, I think the idea of just, I really wonder about our church. I always struggle with what is God's call for our church in terms of, like, growth. So we bought a building five and a half years ago that's for six and a half million dollars, a quarter of an acre. Wow. That's it. Quarter of an acre, half a block. And it needed three to four million dollars worth of work. And we're basically a lower income church. And so the first thing they wanted to do when we bought this church was, hey, we need to add a service. The money. They're thinking the money. If people need the money. And evening service. And New, New York's a night culture. Well, at the time, I was the primary preacher at New Life. And, uh, but the gift of limits, I knew that if I was going to have the kind of quality marriage that God's asked me to have and the kind of walk with God he's called me to have, I wasn't going to do a third service at night with me being the primary preacher. So we said, we've said no for five and a half years. This, in three weeks, we're going to launch that third service. It took us five and a half years to get there because now we have a preaching team of four. I'll only preach there once a month. I, go, I, I, I accept my limits. No staff person is going to beat all the services. You know, we worked it out. Mm-hmm. Our church is at a place of stability and health where we can add a few hundred more people and still be a church, still be a community, still be in, you know, in small groups, and nobody's going to get burnt out and wiped out by it. Hmm. But waiting is hard. Yeah. But you could have, but at what expense? That's exactly right. And God's timing is a big question. It sounds like um, this just might be one of those things that, duh, you know, why doesn't this happen, but uh, that your spirituality affects you organizationally as opposed to the other way around, that the organizational policies and protocols affect your spirituality. Yeah, it's probably it's both end. I'm, one of my, my cutting edges of growth right now is what does emotionally healthy leadership look like? What does it mean to run a relatively large organization where you have to hire and fire and set human resource policies and do staff meetings? What does it look like to apply all this to running a really healthy organization? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm learning that. I've been in the last two years. Uh, I've really entered into that space because I realized I had to disconnect. I did it in mentoring, but I didn't do it in running the church. Hmm. That was another level. So what are a couple things you've learned about the... It's really hard. <laughs> it takes enormous character. I had to go back and do a round of therapy hmm. because I had to get in touch with why couldn't I let certain people go? What was that about? And... I realized how important it was that people would move towards me. And when you're the leader and you can do the right thing, not everybody's going to move towards you. So I got in touch with a new level of my own differentiation level, my own need for validation from other people. Hmm. And I realized I was making, I was lying. I was lying a lot by say, you're not doing a good job. I wouldn't talk about it. I was lying. Basically I wasn't telling you the truth, but I, I, I just, I didn't want to hurt you. Hmm. And so I have you in a position maybe that you're not functioning at well and other people are getting hurt, but I'm letting it go on because I like you and we're friends. So I got into the whole issue, one of, of honesty and clarity that I'm not into a corporate church, but I'm into good stewardship. And, and if you're not doing your role well, this is not a job for life that the church, the leader has a responsibility to make sure either you get repositioned but we're, we're not lying and saying you're doing a job which you're not. 
And secondly, there's a real confusion about dual relationships. I'm your friend, I'm also your pastor, I'm also your boss. Uh, I no longer think that's a good model in most cases. I think you need clarity of, of what's the relationship. And I realize I, I wanted to be a friend, but I don't want to be people's, I don't want to be the leader of the church where I got I to gotta now give you your job evaluation and maybe let you go. Hmm. And uh, so I think dual relationships in a community are very complex. It's not like a corporate world. Uh, but I would recommend that the senior leader needs to be the leader. And if you want to be friends with everybody, then go, get another, go do something else. I don't think you can lead if you want to be liked by everybody. I, I don't think it's the right position. Your church is going to get crippled eventually. So back to emotional health. You've got to do serious work on yourself to lead with integrity, to lead from within, to have the courage to speak truth, to quit the craziness that goes on in churches. If you want to be popular, really, it's the wrong work to be in. Hmm. Now, you can preach and everyone thinks you're wonderful, but to lead well, that's a different story. Hmm. So I'm learning. I, I'm in my, I, it's, it'll, it'll be, I think I'm going to ponder and keep working on it for the next three to four years. Then I'll write it down. I, I, think it's, I think it needs to be written. What does it mean to lead in an emotionally healthy way. I, I think it's a gigantic... I would love to read that book. Sphere. You're going to push a lot of buttons with that, though, because uh, there's the, the paradox is, is if I'm in leadership, I don't have to deal with those things. I can avoid my inner life, and I can, right. I can just make those decisions. That's right, and I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a corporate CEO. No, you're not. You're first a man or a woman of God. That's who you are. Mm. We're fundamentally... We, 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 we're, we're contemplatives, but we're leaders, mm. That's why I like the early church uh, fathers like Augustine and Ambrose. And if you read church history, a lot of the, in the first three, four centuries, the, the bishops and the leaders were monks first. And they were leaders and they were theologians, writing the Nicene Creed and other documents like that. They, they were deep thinkers in Scripture. They were monastics and they were leaders. I said, well, that's the combination. I, I think that's a great model for us today. We don't need CEOs. I don't think that's the good. Oh, that's not mm. the right model. But stewardship is. But I think that line of that line of corporateness. I, I I don't think that's a biblical model. Mm. I think it's damaging. Before I moved our church to a a rule of life, I moved our pastoral staff to a rule of life. And we agreed together. I didn't impose anything. I said, let's agree on our rule of life. You can download it free off the internet and take a look at it. And I said, let's agree. It took six months to do, to form it, formulate it. And let's agree to it. This is how we're going to live our lives with integrity. And then we made it available to the whole church. We're going to model this for you as a church. And uh, that was a place to start. Got ownership. So, for example, as a pastoral staff, we committed to every third Wednesday of the month, we would have a day alone with God of silence. Not for sermon preparation, not for teaching. But if you're going to be on the staff team, you'll spend a third Wednesday with no, no meetings. That's our big meeting day at our church. For staff, no meetings. Go be alone with God, or you're going to be fired. <laughs> it's true. And so you may have a growing ministry in your area, but you're not walking on our rule. We will let you go. And we did. Absolutely. So, um, because we really do believe that it's out of our lives that we're going to lead. So, same thing with your marriage. You're going to, you're going to really invest in your marriage, uh, and you're not going to skim on that. We're not going to, and if you're going to skim on it, you're a bad model. Well, and what are you leading? It just doesn't make sense. So that was a big cultural shift for us. I think it was a staff team. And the elders did the same thing. And then we moved to the whole church. So it's slow. We, 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 you got to move into a church very slowly. The key is it begins with you. What do you need to slow down? What do you need to do the kind of work in your interior so that you're leading from the inside out? 
So spiritual direction and therapists at times and um, you know, retreat centers, whatever. Whatever you are in this season, you get resource. Take responsibility and lead yourself. What are some of the books, uh, in addition to therapy, spiritual direction, yeah. retreats that have, that have been most helpful to you to help you with your interior life? An awareness. I've I've really enjoyed uh, Parker Palmer. Uh huh. You know, let your life speak. I think it's one of his great books. I love Thomas Merton, New Seeds of Contemplation. That's been great. Of course, I love Henry now, and like many others, his writings are I think very very rich. Um, that they've been very helpful. I, I think we actually learned quite a bit from the Quakers. Uh, we actually learned to write questions from the Quakers from Parker Palmer's organization, Circles of Trust. We wanted to try to write study guides that would get at the soul, that would do Bible study, but kind of get at the soul. Mm-hmm. So I think we've been, we've been influenced a lot by Parker Palmer, I think, in that, that whole movement. Clearly, the, you know, I'm, I'm always reading the Desert Fathers. I'm always, I'm always there. I'm reading John, uh, John of the Cross had a big influence on me. John Paul II, his work on theology of the body and sexuality has had an enormous influence on my wife and I. Um, and so these are all informed us. Emotionally health, emotional health and spirituality needs, leads you naturally to a very strong marriage and family ministry as well. And it takes you into the arena of sexuality as part of discipleship as well. So it just keeps opening up larger and larger arenas as you get deeper into it. It's not just, oh, these are cute ideas. Let me add an yeah. idea or two. And this is like, no, this is like your whole life. Your whole paradigm of who you are is now changing and shifting. Hmm. Sexuality is obviously a hot topic in our culture, and it's often a place where Christian leaders fall. Um, say more about this idea of sexuality as part of our discipleship. You obviously mean something more than just not sinning sexually. Yeah, I, th- I think when you when we talk about our, our sexuality, we're talking about our relationship with Jesus. We're married to Christ. I'm, we're, when you come a Christian, I'm married to Jesus. And my marriage to my wife is going to end uh, when I see him face to face. It's simply a signpost. It's, it's a pointer. And so spiritual formation is all about this union, this oneness with Jesus Christ who is my husband and who, with whom I am one. And so, therefore, my sexuality is such that I'm, I'm, I'm my, with my wife, I commune with her just like I would commune with Christ. We have our sexual relationship is a, is a taste of my relationship with Jesus, which means that love must be free, it must be total, it must be faithful, and it must be fruitful. So I don't, I don't use my wife because I'm frustrated or I'm, I'm feeling Physically, I've got to get a release, or I'm anxious, so I go to her, and thus I commit adultery with her. I use her. I don't commune with her. Mm-hmm. I don't treat her as a person. I don't love her freely. And so sexuality brings out all of our deep issues about using people as objects. And spouses do it all the time uh, and have very immature sexual relationships. Most, very few, very, very few marriages have healthy sexual relationships because they don't, they don't work on it. They don't even talk about it. They don't even know what to talk about. Mm-hmm. And so we don't disciple people in that. I think it's just part of getting deep beneath the iceberg and helping people uh, Do you have on. any teaching or resources that you've done around that area? Was there a conference, I think, that you mentioned? Yeah, well, you know, we've, we've got, in fact, in our website, you can listen to a few messages we've done on uh, theology, or good messages on, from Ephesians called your, your, your Body, Your Sexuality, and Your God. And uh, it's an exposition on Ephesians 5 when Paul speaks about, you know, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. And then he says, oh, but I'm not speaking about, I'm speaking about Christ and the church. And this is a great mystery, he says. And he says, he makes the connection immediately of mar- earthly marriage and Christ and the church. Because that is the image of what it means to be a Christian. 
And uh, so, yeah, we're, 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 we've been working on this for quite a bit. And this year we're actually going to try to do some more stuff at our it's pastor's exciting. conference. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a great – I think if we can get to the pastor's sex life, we'll get to the whole church. Because wow. all the issues in a marriage are in that bedroom. All the issues of their maturity are in that bedroom. All the issues of differentiation, emotional health, their contemplative life is all in that bedroom. I think you just got a lot of people's attention <laughs> for those that weren't listening closely. <laughs> My last question, this, this has really intrigued me, again, from your, your, uh, your top ten list of un, emotionally unhealthy signs. What does it mean to die to the wrong things? Uh, well, we die to things like joy in our marriage. I died to a wonderful relationship with Jesus so I could be working for him. He never asked me to die to my marriage and die to uh, you know, him, enjoying him, die to the great outdoors, enjoying the gifts of life, enjoying my children. Those are dying to the wrong things. So we get this idea confused when people say we're supposed to die to self. No, you, you die to your sins, die to your defensiveness, die to your pride, die to your egocentricity, your narcissism. Yes. Die to your gossiping, your judgmentalism. Die to that, please. But don't die to the right things, but not the gifts of life from God. That is the tragedy. We die to all the wrong things. Got them all mixed up. Hmm. Pete Scazzaro, thank you so much you. Uh, for taking the time. Bless you. Bless the Emotionally Healthy Ministry. If anyone is interested in more resources or to find out more about Pete and his books, you can visit online at www.emotionallyhealthy.org. Thanks so much. Bless you. Thank you. God bless you, Michael. You've been listening to another episode of Restoring the Soul. Learn more about how we cultivate freedom and wholeness of heart at restoringthesoul.com. Restoring the Soul.